Welcome back to Will Wright Catholic. Today we're looking at the Sacred Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. What are they and why are they called the summit of the church's liturgical year? So very excited to be going through this today with you. This isn't going to be a very long episode, but I hope that it's a, a fruitful episode for you and a blessing to you as we approach Easter. If you're listening to Will Wright Catholic for the first time, welcome. Uh, WillWrightCatholic.com is hosted at Substack, which is a writing platform which allows you to be a free or paid subscriber. Podcast episodes will always be free. Paid subscribers will also get occasional written content uh, that will only be available to paid subscribers, and they will also be able to request various articles and, and commentaries on current events. Uh, so check that out if you'd like. Help support the show. Also, we are now on YouTube. You can get there by going to youtube.com slash at Catholic. And uh, for now, the, the YouTube videos are basically just the podcast episodes as a voiceover over an image. Uh, but I hope to add more video content in the future. I'm just not quite there yet. I'd like to get the podcast a little bit more consistent in terms of posting. And uh, so look forward to that. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, comments, please feel free to let me know. You can always email me at will.write.catholic at gmail.com. And as always, please share the, the podcast if you enjoy it, wherever you're listening to it, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on Substack natively. So without further ado, let's dive into the Sacred Triduum. The most important liturgical season of the church year is the Sacred Triduum, three days to change the world. Lent is over, and from the evening of Holy Thursday to the evening of Holy Saturday, we celebrate one long day, the unity of the Paschal Mystery of Jesus. On these three days, we celebrate the Last Supper, Passion, Death, and Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Thursday night begins the sacred Easter Triduum, in which the whole church devotes herself to the remembrance of the night of the Last Supper. The ceremonial bit of bishops number 297 says this, quote, At the supper on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, loving those who were in his own in the world, even to the end, offered his body and blood to the Father under the appearance of bread and wine gave them to the apostles to eat and drink, then enjoined the apostles and their successors in the priesthood to offer them in turn. This Mass is, first of all, the memorial of the institution of the Eucharist, that is, of the memorial of the Lord's Passover, by which, under sacramental signs, he perpetuated among us the sacrifice of the new law. The Mass of the Lord's Supper is also the memorial of the institution of the priesthood, by which Christ's mission and sacrifice are perpetuated in the world. In addition, this Mass is the memorial of that love by which the Lord loved us even to death. So on this day, priests do not celebrate Mass alone, nor are Masses offered for special small groups. The altar is decorated with moderate flowers, and there are a few oddities. Uh, for example, after the Gloria is sung, now back because Lent is over, the church bells remain silent until the Easter Vigil. So even after consecration, the bells aren't rung. Also, during this special Mass, there's the washing of the feet, which mirrors the washing of the apostles' feet by Jesus. Uh, 
the priest removes his chasuble and washes the feet of a few people to call to mind this sacred action on the night of the Last Supper. Remember, the Last Supper and this action is part of how Jesus instituted the Sacrament of Holy Orders. At the end of the Mass of the Lord's Supper, to show that the Triduum is a unified whole, the Mass does not end. Instead, the Blessed Sacrament is processed to a suitable place for exposition and adoration. Now, Normally, this time of adoration continues until midnight in the parish. And unlike a normal time of adoration, a monstrance is not used, so it's not specifically exposition. Instead, a large ciborium containing all of the consecrated Eucharist to be used the next day is adored. And it's customary during this time to sing the beautiful Pange Lingua, uh, Pange Lingua Eucharistic chant written by St. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. So a very beautiful evening. Next up is Good Friday. Good Friday is the second day of the Sacred Triduum in between Holy Thursday and Easter Vigil. Good Friday is the commemoration of the passion and death of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. It's always three days before Easter, or rather the third day before Easter, which marks the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it might be confusing why we call this horrible day good. And this term comes from an obsolete use of the term in English, which means pious or holy. Uh, for hundreds of years in the Latin church, it was called Feria Sexta in Parascave, which means day of preparation. And then after the 1955 Holy Week reform, it was renamed Feria Sexta in Passione et Morte Domini, which means Friday of the Passion and Death of the Lord. In the current Latin edition of the Missal, it is Feria Sexta in Passione Domini, or Friday of the Passion of the Lord. One of the strangest things about Good Friday is that Mass is not offered anywhere in the world. Tabernacles are empty with the doors wide open. The altar is stripped of cloths and candles. And the holy water receptacles are empty. It's surreal, empty, solemn. Jesus Christ, the God-made man, has died on the cross and he's been laid in the tomb. Now, of course, we know the rest of the story. Death couldn't hold him down, and he rose from the dead three days later. Now, there's a distinction in the teachings of the church between forgiveness and consequences for sins, because I think it's worth talking about penance, right? Good Friday is definitely a penitential day. Now, God forgives us when we ask with true sorrow for our sins, when we ask for forgiveness, um, but there are still eternal consequences, for our actions. Our relationship with God can still need healing in terms of conformity to him and communion with him. Even after we confess our sins, we can still have attachments to certain sins, for example. The Lord helps us to grow in cooperation with his grace through the gift and opportunity of doing penance. Followers of Christ are called to do formal penance, such as fasting, and informal penance, such as intentionally going out of the way to be kind to someone. In doing penance, whether formal or informal, we're uniting ourselves to the superabundant merits won by Christ on the cross. For penance to have its full effect in ourselves and to help us grow in holiness, this intentionality is necessary. When we act with Christ, we're drawing nearer to him just as he is already near to us. Doing penance is our answer to the justice of God. We know that we're sinners in need of grace, and we unite our thoughts, prayers, and actions to communion with him. 
Now, penance can be done formally or informally, but there's certain times when the whole church is called to collective penance. And canon law teaches us in canon 1250, the penitential days and times in the universal church are every Friday of the whole year and the season of Lent. And this is why we say that every Friday is like a mini Good Friday all throughout the year. Now, in the early life of the church, there was a fast before every major feast or important event. Historically, fasting comes from the Latin statio, which means to stand watch or on guard. Another type of fast is called abstinence, which pertains to abstaining from meat or fats. In the second case, this is an act of self-control. For the first meaning of fasting, the idea is in waiting, watching, and anticipating something. There's a fast in place for the Holy Eucharist, for example. The faithful fast from everything except water and medicine at least one hour prior to receiving Holy Communion. In the past, this fast extended to midday on the previous day. Now, this is where we get the term break fast, breakfast, right? Because we're after receiving Holy Communion, we are breaking the fast. Today, there are two days of required fasting, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. On these two days in the Latin Rite, we may uh, generally, and this is not necessarily in canon law, but the general convention is that we eat one small meal and two other small meals that when combined are not equal to a normal sized meal. Now, this fasting is obligatory for those who are 18 years old up to 59 and a half years old. And yes, that's exactly what's in canon law, 59 and a half years old. So for those younger than 18 and older than 60, the fast is optional and based on medical fitness to do so. Abstinence from meat is required on Ash Wednesday and on all Fridays for those above the age of 14 years old. And yes, you read that correctly. Canon law says abstinence from meat or some other food as determined by the Episcopal Conference is to be observed on all Fridays unless a solemnity should fall on a Friday. That's from Canon 1251. Now, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops teach the following. They say, Christ died for our salvation on Friday. Gratefully remembering this, Catholic peoples from time immemorial have set apart Friday for special penitential observance by which they gladly suffer with Christ that they may one day be glorified with him. This is the heart of the tradition of abstinence from meat on Friday, where that tradition has been observed in the Holy Catholic Church. So simply put, Christ gave up his flesh for the life of the world on Friday, and so we give up, give up flesh for him on Friday. Now, the USCCB recommends that the faithful continue meatless Fridays throughout the year, but it's no longer binding under pain of sin. Outside of Lent, the faithful may eat meat, but they must do some other penance in its stead. Uh, now, of course, Good Friday and Ash Wednesday are those days where abstinence from meat is required by all and fasting is required for those between 18 and 59 and a half years of age. Now, finally, we have Holy Saturday and the Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil is the greatest liturgy of the entire year in the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church. The Roman Missal guides the celebration of this great night and even refers to the Easter Vigil as, quote, the mother of all vigils, which is quoting St. Augustine from the 5th century. So the Easter Vigil has real history. Throughout the years, this celebration did get lost for a time, lacking the full vigor that it once had. However, Pope Pius XII 
in the 1950s restored the prominent celebration of the mother of all vigils on the Saturday evening before Easter Sunday. See, for some time, uh, Easter vigil, as it was called anyway, was was celebrated early on on Saturday morning, uh, which is kind of an odd thing. But anyway, since the 1950s, Pope Pius XII in 1955 restored it to the evening before Easter Sunday. And the Easter Vigil is packed with breathtaking symbolism and meaning. And it's packed with a celebration of everything that we hold dear as Catholics. Christ is seen throughout in amazing grandeur. Now first, I have to mention, the Easter Vigil begins with a bonfire outside. And this holy fire is called the Lucernarium. And the, the liturgy begins with a celebrant blessing the Easter fire outside. This fire is symbolic of Christ who is not dead, but very much alive, burning brightly. From this fire, coals are taken out to light the incense and the thurible, and the fire is also used to light the new Paschal candle. Throughout the entire liturgical year, the Paschal candle, the big candle in the front of the church, stands in or near the sanctuary of the church or near the baptistry as a sign of Christ. This candle is triumphantly marched into the church, which is completely dark at this point, the single burning flame enters the back of the church carried by a priest or deacon who raises it above his head and sings Lumen Christi, or the light of Christ, to which the people respond Deo gratias, or thanks be to God. This is repeated for a total of three times as the deacon or priest nears the sanctuary of the church. While the Paschal candle makes its way to the altar area, to the sanctuary, little candles are held by the congregation and lit from the Paschal candle, and the light of Christ truly begins to spread out throughout the church, which is now lit by candlelight uh, held by the individuals there. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, once the candle makes it to the front, the Easter proclamation or exultet is proclaimed by the priest, a deacon, or a cantor. And this triumphant and beautiful chant is uh, an ancient French hymn, and it's uh, not so ancient, actually. It's only a few hundred years old, but it's uh, the prelude to the celebration of Easter. It speaks of night and light, of the place and time of the moment of the congregation and the priest, and it anticipates the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. After the long, subdued nature of the Lenten season, the Easter Vigil breaks in with glory and anticipation. During the Gloria and Excelsis, for example, remember the bells were stopped rung after the Holy Thursday Gloria. Well, now all of them are rung. As, as many as are available are rung all throughout, and the chanting or singing of the hymn is done. Each of the readings during the Liturgy of the Word have an accompanying responsorial psalm. There's, there's several readings that can be done. And there are many other musical additions to the liturgy called for in the Roman Missal, including the Litany of Saints before the blessing of baptismal water. And the music at the Mother of All Vigils is, is truly something magnificent uh, if the person pre uh, preparing for it has done what the church has requested. The Liturgy of the Word is kicked into high gear. There's seven possible readings, a minimum of three, again, each with their selected responsorial psalm, sung in between the pre uh, readings and prayers by the priest following each psalm. And then the Gloria is sung, the Collect is said, a reading from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans is proclaimed, the uh, Alleluia is proclaimed for the first time since before Lent, yet another psalm is sung, and then the Gospel is read and the homily is given. 
And so we're already maybe an hour or so into the liturgy and we're still going strong. We just got started. The remainder of the liturgy is a remarkable tour de force of the sacraments of initiation of the church. And the baptismal water is blessed. Those entering the church make a profession of faith. They renounce sin. We join them in that. And then they are baptized. They're brought into the mystical body of Christ. Many of these adults have been preparing for this moment for a year or more. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Next, there are those who are not Catholic, but who are previously baptized as Protestants, and they make a profession of faith in the Catholic Church and are received into full communion with the Church. Then these new Catholics, now all baptized and officially members of the Catholic Church, are invited to the celebration of the Sacrament of Confirmation. Uh, And of course, uh, baptized and confirmed Orthodox Christians would also enter the church with a profession of faith. They wouldn't be reconfirmed because we recognize the validity of baptism and confirmation in the Orthodox churches. But at this point, the entire congregation is then invited to renew their baptismal promises and receive a blessing from the priest with the newly blessed baptismal water. The liturgy of the Eucharist then takes place in the normal way. Uh, However, now baptized and confirmed, the new Catholic neophytes, the newbies, receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist for the very first time. What a moment to behold. It's the pinnacle of our faith, the source and summit of the Christian life. With so many people leaving the practice of the faith, this holy night is one in which to take part. By being present, In praying for these new Catholics, we show our support to these new members of the body of Christ, and we celebrate the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the sacred triduum, those three days, which are really one day, the Paschal Mystery, is the capstone of Holy Week and the summit of the church's liturgical life. What a beautiful time to enter into each day and remember in gratitude what Jesus Christ did in his passion, death, and resurrection. In more than a mere remembering, through the liturgy, we're taking part in these moments because the memory of God is perfect and brings the present and the past collapsing into one another in an amazing mystery. Uh, If you want to hear more about liturgical actualization and and all of those sort of notions, uh, check out the Praying the Mass uh, series that I just finished up. We just did uh, five sessions. Uh, five separate nights at St. John Paul II High School in Avondale. It was a, a lot of fun with the group. And now those are on uh, Substack and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, so check that out. And uh, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Have a very blessed blessed Triduum and a happy Easter, everyone. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a great Lent and I, I'm, I'm ready for Easter. I'm excited. I can't wait for uh, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. And so let's end in prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, one more thing before I forget. Uh, There's this really cool greeting that we do as Catholics, right, for Easter. Uh, We say, Christ is risen. And then the other person said, indeed, he is risen, or truly, he is risen. And if you want to do it in Greek... It is uh, Christos Anesti, and then you would say Alitos Anesti. And if you want to do it in Latin, you would say Christos Resurrexit, and then you would respond Resurrexit Vere. Uh, So anyway, lots of different ways to greet each other come Easter. So anyway, 
Have a wonderful Triduum. Have a great Easter. God bless.